0: This is a book that Thanissaro Bhikkhu wrote, um, a disciple of Buddha Dasa, who is a, a monk who um, lives in Thailand, very uh, learned and radical monk, actually, in how he's interpreted the Buddha's teachings. Um, so he quotes the Buddha here. Just as if a great mass of fire of 10, 20, 30, or 40 cartloads of timber were burning and into it a man would time and again throw dried grass, dried cow dung, and dried timber so that that great mass of fire, thus nourished, thus sustained, would burn for a long time. Even so, monks, in one who keeps focusing on the allure of those phenomena that offer sustenance, craving. With craving as a condition, sustenance. With sustenance as a condition, becoming. With becoming as a condition, birth. From birth, aging, sickness and death, sorrow, lamentation, grief and despair. This is the origin Of the entire mass of suffering. And just as if a great mass of fire were burning into which a woman simply would not time and again throw dried grass, dried cow dung or dried timber, so that that great mass of fire, its original sustenance being consumed and no other being offered, would without nourishment go out. Even so, nuns, in one who keeps focusing on the drawbacks of those phenomena that offer sustenance. By phenomena that offer sustenance, he means the objects that are part of sight, hearing, tasting, touch, and uh, ideas, mental phenomena. So one who keeps focusing on the drawbacks of these experiences. The craving stops and from the stopping of craving sustenance stops. From the stopping of sustenance aging, sickness, death, sorrow, lamentation, grief and despair all stop. Thus is the stopping of this entire mass of suffering. The poppies send up their orange flares swaying in the wind. Their congregations are a levitation of bright dust, of thin and lacy leaves. There isn't a place in this world that doesn't sooner or later in the indigos of darkness. But now for a while the roughage shines like a miracle as it floats above everything with its yellow hair. Of course, nothing stops the cold, black, curved blade from hooking forward. Of course, loss is the great lesson. But also, I say this, that light is an invitation to happiness, and that happiness, when it's done right, is a kind of holiness, palpable and redemptive. Inside the bright fields, touched by their rough and spongy gold, I am washed and washed in the river of earthly delights. And what are you going to do? What can you do about it? (coughs) It seems like those two readings are talking about opposite things. On the one hand, the Buddha is saying that when craving, when desire comes, when it comes, and it can only come through the, the six sense bases, right? There's no other place it can come. It can come through seeing, it can come through hearing, <coughs> it can come through tasting, it can come through touch, and it can come through the thinking process. There's no other place for craving to arise and smell smell. <laughs> I'm stuffed up, I can't smell. <laughs> no, no craving in there. <laughs> that the Buddha is saying that when craving arises, when our sense bases are in contact with any of the objects that those sense bases can connect with, then we are creating this fire. We are building this fire that builds suffering that builds lamentation and that builds grief. And he's saying, when we see these experiences as experiences that can add to our suffering and we start to withdraw and detach ourselves, then we take away from our suffering. And then there's Mary Oliver be- so beautifully, now I've lost the poem, saying, that that she is reveling in this earthly delight that these poppies are exquisite that the flower and the dust of yellow permeates the air and brings to her uh, a glory and a happiness are we talking about two totally different things are we talking about a, a poet who is building her fires of dukkha of which is the Pali word of suffering. The monk I just quoted, Buddha Dasa, um, says in one of his books called Heartwood Bodhi Tree, the core of the teachings of the Buddha is sabha, dharma, nakam, Visaya. All things should not be clung to. Whoever has heard this phase, the Buddha says, has heard all Buddhism. Whoever has put it into practice has practiced all of Buddhism. Whoever has received the fruits of this practice has received all the fruits of Buddhism or the teachings of the Buddha. All things should not be clung to. To imagine our life where there is no clinging. Take a moment to envision what it would mean. Where whatever we saw, or heard, or tasted, whatever thought we had, there would be no clinging, there would be no movement of the mind to grasp onto that object. There would be no aversion or pushing that experience away. Imagine your life in a deep equanimity because there would be no craving no thirsting for something different than it was. Imagine your life steeped not only in a deep equanimity, but a deep contentment, because you would be independently happy. Your happiness would not be dependent on any one experience. The Buddha said, this, is our possibility. And it is in the space of non-clinging and non-aversion that actually we are most touched by the beauty of our lives, by the beauty of the poppies, by the curved blue blade of the night hooking us into itself. It is actually in the space where there is no attachment and no aversion, where there comes automatically a deep happiness and a deep kindness and gentleness. These teachings invite us to contemplate and consider this possibility. And these teachings invite us also to practices which actually bring this about. Our happiness is not something that is born in the future. Our happiness is not something that is dependent on qualities that we don't have yet because they don't exist in our being. Our happiness actually comes about as we meet ourselves moment to moment to moment and in that meeting we see moment to moment which way we are invited to relate to that experience. And it is that meeting, not the distancing, but the meeting of ourselves with ourselves, of our awareness with whatever's happening, and the seeing of it, and the direct experience of it, that we see, oh, I am thirsting for something. Oh, I'm wanting something that I can't have. Oh, I watch my mind make a subtle movement forward as I'm walking because I've had the thought of a cup of tea. Not a big deal, but I see it, that moving out to something. And in the seeing, when we have this understanding, we can begin to let go. We can say, I take this piece of wood out of the fire. I take this handful of dried dung out of the fire, I disidentify, I do not feed this energy. And in that moment, we build the conditions for our freedom and our independent happiness, our happiness that is not dependent on conditions. When we were doing the movement exercise this afternoon and the invitation was notice what the experience is in your leg or when we're doing the breathing meditation and we say notice the beginning of the breath and it's passing away. What we're really trying to cultivate is the ability to see directly what's going on inside of us. And when we see that directly, what do we see Larry? what do we see <laughs> What do you see Uh-huh uh-huh and in that connection as you as you come into connection what uh, what what do you see what What's the universal characteristic phenomena we see when we are directly aware of our experience? Anyone? Yes. Nothing. Nothing. The seer and the scene are the same The same seer same. and the scene, yes. That's one way of saying it. It, it, it reminded me when you asked about uh, the need, for example. Yes, right, right. I didn't see anything. I just wasn't my need. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> there wasn't anything there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. There was no sensation. Oh, there was, there was sensation, right? But there was no I in it. You just there saw the sensation, perceiver. right? There was no perceiver. Yes. Yes. Right. 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 Sens- right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. That's beautiful. Because when we let go of the concept of me, what we actually come into touch with is that it's changing. It's changing. Each breath is born and dies. You cannot hold on to it. You cannot hold on to your age. You cannot even hold on to a thought. God knows we try it enough. We t- we try holding on to our lovers and we we know we can't hold on to that. We try holding on to Job's daughters, sons, parents, money, we try holding on over and over again. And each one of us here is an expert at it, I know. (laughs) And we also know that holding on is actually in reality nothing but a contraction, because it is impossible to control our lives. It is impossible to control everything that is in existence as life because it is passing away and arising and passing. The reason we cultivate awareness of the breath and of the body over and over again, an awareness of eating and swallowing, of touching, of seeing, the sunrise and the sunset, is that we are confronted over and over again with the reality that everything is constantly coming into birth and dying, ourselves included, and that there is nothing we can hold on to. And the Buddha says, when we see this over and over again clearly, without the concept but the direct experience, we take more wood Out of that fire. We take more wood out of that burning. It it might be that next time we come together, one or some of us won't be living anymore. It might be me. We don't know. We have so little control actually over our lives that we don't know when we're going to die. These teachings ask us to contemplate this and to say each time and each moment we come into connection with our experience, with awareness and loving kindness. We come to open to this truth, not as a bummer, Not as a bad trip, but rather because we open to it and surrender to it, we come to an exquisite appreciation of the beauty of our lives and ourselves. We come to the grace that Mary Olva was talking about, where each one of us actually feels holy. because that's what happens when we let go. This does not mean to say that every time we find attachment and grasping inside of ourselves, for surely we will. We beat ourselves up. We trash ourselves or thrash ourselves or we think we're failing. No. Of course we meet that movement of the mind of trying to grasp and hold on all the time but the beauty of this practice and the beauty of understanding why it's a path is because we know not that we don't get lost we do but we know at some point we can't escape the work yes I can be on a bum ride. I can say, I have to go and see a movie. I have to go. I read murder mysteries. <laughs> I said to Eric, what, do you want a murder mystery? He says, oh, no. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm really into murder mysteries. I'm really into even bad ones, like uh, <laughs> Sue Grafton over here. She's a terrible writer, actually, but I enjoy it. <laughs> so I take a break, but I know It's not long-term, because I know what my work is. I know that the work is to cultivate and strengthen the mind enough with awareness and loving-kindness, that over and over again I can challenge, that is, not buy into the grasping and the aversion, not buy into that delusion or illusion where we think our happiness rests on anything other than the relationship of awareness. Whatever, lovers, jobs, whether we're insomniac, health, sickness, all of it is arising and passing away. There is nothing substantial enough that can give us lasting happiness outside Of ourselves. There is not even anything inside of ourselves in terms of the rising and passing of experience that can give us happiness. But when we disengage from it, in that disengagement comes deep happiness. And that's what it means to be on this path. And it's beautiful because in the end you can't get lost. You know it over and over again. One of the most seductive places is blame. And when I'm blaming, I know I'm lost. uh, Recently, I've been very busy. I'm in the process of building a a meditation center. My partner's really involved in it. And um, we've been very busy. And so by the time 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock comes at night, we're tired. We're really tired. And if we're going to have a spat, it's then, you know. And it's over something silly, you know. (laughs) Just, <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll be unconscious and sort of move her out of the way to put my toothbrush under the faucet. And she's like, I can't believe you did that again. I've asked you so many times not to, to wait until I finish cleaning my teeth before you. You know, I mean something little, you know. <laughs> and we get into it. And, you know, and, it's, and my mind is immediately, God, she is so uptight. I cannot believe how uptight she is. <laughs> you know, and this is just a small example of what our minds do. We we like to blame. We like to we like to project out, onto the object, whatever is problematic or whatever we desire, and. We really deeply disempower ourselves by doing that, because we become a victim over and over again in that relationship. That's true victimization, and we do it to ourselves over and over, not because we're bad, but just because we haven't had the awareness yet to see that dynamic clearly. you know? So rather than me saying, "Oh, she's so uptight," actually you know, what's happening is that I'm tired and I didn't have the awareness to wait a moment. That was really the reality of it. But my mind wanted to push the experience onto her. And in doing so, in making her uptight, I don't leave any room, myself, inside of myself, for a change, for a change in relationship, for actually a healing. We blame over and over again. We are seduced into blame. Every time we make something outside of ourselves the problem, or something in our experience the problem, we are victimizing ourselves. We are creating a relationship of craving or aversion. And we are feeding the fires of our suffering. And we will. We will. that's the nature of the mind. But just to know it, just to know it is such a deep freedom. Just to say, aha, I got it. I got it. I saw it. I will try next time again, and I will try next time again, because we will have plenty of times, many, many, where we will be invited to be aware of that choice and to be able sometimes to make the choice not to go with it, to say, I, I really, really answer the calling of my heart, which is to come home to myself and not to be bound, not to be tied. The Buddha uses the word fetters, not to be tied down by thirsting or craving for any experience or object or situation. I understand that by letting go comes the deepest freedom. Another way to, uh, I just have to quickly look at the time here. Another way another way to come to it is through looking at our thinking process. There's a great teacher, some of you might have sat with her, um, Christina Feldman, and she says, if I have a thought more than once, I know there's attachment.
1: <laughs>
0: well, I have had some thoughts a lot more. I could could even say a lot more than a hundred times and be honest you know (laughs) You spoke beautifully to the sense of there not being an I When we believe our thinking process and when we keep embellishing it we actually build the contraction and the sense of I that obscures us from our heart and our freedom. When we have a thought more than once, it's signifying that we are identifying, that we are craving or thirsting or putting some I energy into creating a story. And in this tradition, we are invited to actually disentangle ourselves from our stories. That it is actually our stories, whatever the stories are, it is the stories that imprison us. And that when we come to an experience directly, without story, there is heart and there is freedom. There's a, it's very obvious. When Matthew Shepard was killed, and it is not just Matthew Shepard, there have been many of us who have been murdered and um, tortured out of intolerance and hatred. It, it is obvious that what's happening is that some people are identifying with their storyline, that they are identifying with their stories so strongly that they are totally obscured from their hearts, from kindness, and from freedom. What happened to Matthew Shepard and what happens to all of us, who are murdered or tortured out of intolerance is actually what happens to us in our hearts and minds over and over again when we identify, when we buy into our stories whatever they are. (coughs) Stories about ourselves as gay men or dykes, stories about ourselves as professional stories about ourselves as mothers, as fathers, as workers, as being playing sports or being lousy at sports, stories about our interactions. We, we have, we, we create many, many stories and the Buddha asks us over and over again to look at that and to say, is it actually bringing you happiness? Is it bringing healing? Is it bringing kindness? Or is it actually bringing suffering? Is it bringing intolerance? Is it bringing separation? When, when Mary Olver talks about the, um, when she talks about those poppies, it's it's not from a place of separation but rather from a place of directly connecting to the experience without a story of the poppy as oh this is a flower or oh this is the this is the oh oh you know this is a weed. You know how you sometimes look at something and say, oh it's a weed and you dismiss it? But actually coming into that direct connection with the experience brings about grace. And that's what happens when we let go of our stories. We come into the direct connection with the experience, and there there's grace. Even if it's difficult, even if it's painful, even if we're actually in the process of losing it, when there isn't a story around it, there's grace, there's kindness, and there's freedom in it. are a couple of poems that come out of letting go. This is Wendy Lewis and she said, it's like this. It's like this. There's this bird and you catch it in your hands. You feel its softness, its warmth, heart rapidly beating. But if you keep holding it, it's no longer a bird. So you open your hands, catch it, let it go, again and again. This is Norman Fisher, a Zen teacher, who wrote something called Sesshin poem. Won't let wanting anything stand blocking the path, waiting with alert anticipation all day long in moments, one after the other, expecting nothing, determined never to be disappointed again. And Eileen Caddy of In the Spirit of Findhorn says, I want you to start by finding me right there in the very center of your being. Hong Chi Cheng Chao says, Full of wonder is the pure illumination, the moon's appearance, a river of stars, snow-clad pines, clouds hovering on mountain peaks, In darkness they glow with brightness, in shadows they shine with a splendid light, like the dreaming of a crane flying in empty space, like the clear still water of an autumn pool. Endless eons dissolve into nothingness, each indistinguishable from the other. In this illumination, all striving is forgotten." May we each come to know clearly what feeds the fuels of our suffering and what reduces the fires. May we each build the qualities of mindfulness and loving kindness so that over and over again as we meet ourselves, we can see clearly where our path of opening is and where our path of contraction is. In this way, may coming to live with ourselves become an exploration and opening into the true beauty and grace that our heart's vision is calling us to. May each one of us here come to realize the true nature and beauty of ourselves. Thank you.